0: Turn to Isaiah 58. I'm going to try to rescue myself right now from everything I've just said. Yeah, good luck. I want to talk to you, and I'll I'll continue this over the next few weeks. Last week, we talked about how we want to alter our life, A-L-T-E-R, and what I really feel like the the Spirit of the Lord is speaking to this church is is we need to alter our life, A-L-T-A-R, which... If we really want to be altered, then we have to learn how to build an altar to God in our life, and that is what will bring permanent change to us. So if you're in the middle of this fast, whatever it is you're fasting, I encourage you to keep going, keep pressing in, and it's not just fasting for fasting's sake, it's prayer and fasting, which prayer is much deeper and a whole lot more than just asking God for stuff. Prayer is our communion with God. It's literally what we were created for. And church, I believe that God has two main longings in his heart, that the church can absolutely have an impact on God that will result in an impact upon ourselves, which then results in an impact on our families, which if our families begin to change, then our community begins to change. If our community begins to change, our school system begins to change. That's revival. Yeah. And the greatest longing in the heart of God is twofold, in my opinion, to dwell fully with his people on earth and to see the lost saved. Yes. Those are two main things that are on God's heart, to dwell fully with his people on earth and to see the lost saved. So Isaiah 58 is where we're going to go. But I've been thinking about this topic, and I'm going to, I'm going to hit these in the next uh, probably two or three weeks. But altars, everybody say altars. altars. And arcs. An ark is what Noah built, of course, for the saving of not just his family, but if you look at the story, he preached for decades, and anybody that wanted to get on the ark could have gotten on the ark, but they refused to believe the report of the prophet, the man of God, of what was coming down the road. So I'm going to talk about altars and and arks. Noah built an an ark, but you also see in the story that he built an altar. We're going to talk about that over these next few uh, weeks. And it's really important to discern in your life, in your family's life, and even the life of a church, when to build an altar and when to build an ark. It's important to discern that. It's important to understand that. And God has always had specifications and directions on what to build for him. We see a God who operates in principles and patterns all throughout the Bible. The principles of God are those things that you put into practice that God tells us to do. And I want to tell you tonight, if you live by the principles of God, you will live a blessed life. You will live a protected life. You will live a life that is blessed and abundant because you're following God's principles. Now, the Bible also talks about the pattern. So when God wanted them to build a tabernacle so that he could dwell with his people... He told them how to pattern it. So if you take your own life and you say, okay, Pastor, you're talking about altars. You're talking about God's presence. You're talking about arcs. You're talking about these these subjects. What does that mean for me in a practical way? In a practical way, if you pattern your life after what the Bible teaches us in building an altar, altars are unknown and foreign to us. It wasn't to the people in the Old Testament. It wasn't to the people even in other cultures where they still do ritual sacrifices of animals and different things all throughout this world even today. And just like Noah, we aren't building a cruise ship. We are building a rescue boat. Amen? Amen. I have no interest in building a cruise ship. I've been on a few cruises. And the cruises are all about leisure and partying and having a good time. And I think it's time for the church to wake up and shift their mentality from a gr- cruise ship mentality to a battleship mentality. I told somebody a few months ago, and this, this will help you understand if you're new to this church or just recently joined or even visiting tonight, this will really help you maybe discern and decide whether you want to join what we're doing here at, at Christian Center Church. I told somebody a few months ago, I, sa- I told him I said, I've got myself and my wife have zero interest in becoming cruise ship directors. Because cruise ship directors are all about placating the people that came for a good time. When God has called us to battle, God has called us to warfare. God has called us to fasting and to reaching our community and our families. And Noah built an ark. And he built it after the pattern that God told him to build it after. God gave him instruction. God is still speaking instructions to his church. Let he who has an ear to hear hear what the Spirit is saying to us in this time and season. So we desire to build a church that rescues people. Amen? Amen? We exist to grow. Anything that God's hand is upon will naturally grow. You don't have to force it. It's a very natural thing that happens. And because, why do we want to grow? Because there's still a lot of lost people on the outside of these four walls. I talked about it Sunday in any given time, you're around dozens, if not hundreds, if not driving around tens of thousands of people that we believe that if you do not repent and put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are on your way, not to heaven, but you're on your way to hell. And, and it, and that is true. So it should fill us with a sense of urgency about the mission just like Noah was urgent about what was coming down the pike. He preached on it. He talked about it. He warned them, being divinely warned by God. And I love this quote by a missionary named C.T. Studd. And it goes like this. If some, some wish to live within the sound of a chapel bell. I wish to run a rescue mission within a yard of hell one of my favorite quotes. I learned it all the way back in Bible school. And I thought, Lord, that's what I want my life to be. And used to be in our American Christianity and in our churches, we used to think, well, you have to go off to the mission field in order to run a rescue mission within a yard of hell. No, 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 no. (laughs) If anything that I'm trying to present to you at the urgency that I feel in my spirit about the coming days, years, and decades ahead, it's that the mission field is here. And now I've been all around this world I've been all over. I've been in lots of different churches and lots of different places. And the American Christian church is anemic, powerless, and not affecting the people and the culture around them for one simple reason. Because other... Countries don't have personalities and they don't have programs and they don't have cool lights and awesome worship teams. And I love all that stuff. Don't get me wrong. But if we try to replace the presence of God with something man-made, then we're not going to have the power that God wants to generate in his church. And we've replaced all those things because I've been in other countries. And, I, and, and, and here's one thing that just struck me. The first time I went on the mission field down in Mexico with my missions pastor named, named Chuck we went down, and one of the first days we were, we were building a mission within a yard of hell. Within two blocks was a garbage dump, and these people were just kind of setting up whatever they could in tents and pallets. and all the. Ironically enough, I met a woman a couple of years later that was doing that same ministry in Mexico City. Not ironic. It's God, right? Yeah. I said, man, I've had that same experience. My church is building a three-story church and mission right here on the edge of one of the worst places in Monterey, Mexico, but... We were walking those dirt roads and just looking around the area. And as we came up around one of the corners, I turned the corner, I began to walk up the the dirt road, and I heard somebody, and it was in Spanish, of course. I didn't know a whole lot of Spanish, don't know a whole lot now. Um, Spent years on the mission field in other countries, and and I just, I love a good interpreter is what I always said. (laughs) Come come be my interpreter. And I have an an interpreter uh, with us, me and Chuck and the interpreter uh, Antonio were walking up the road, and I could tell immediately because I sensed the presence of God, somebody was praying. Okay. And as we made about halfway up that block, we stopped, and this older lady was knelt down in the dirt, and it was a little tiny just canvas tent that they had put up with what they found of just uh, just some homemade tent poles. And she had a little couple little altars there, and she had some benches and she just pouring her. She had no idea we were walking down the road. This wasn't some kind of a show. She was crying out to God. And when she we we waited till she was done, and she got up and turned around. I wanted to talk to her. I wanted to ask her what her ministry was. What she was crying. She said, "I am here to reach the kids of this community." And and smiling, and happy, and the joy of the Lord all over her. The United States of America is the most medicated country on the face of this earth we consume like 72 percent of all prescription pills and drugs and it hasn't made us one iota happier because we know the truth that it is found in the presence of god it is found in being right with god let me ask you a question tonight by a show of hands how many like to make decisions you like you just you love to be the decision maker okay how many don't like to make decisions See, some of you couldn't even decide whether you wanted to raise your hand right then, did you? And you're like, I don't know. Right, so it's about 50 50. It's about 50 50. And uh, God is building a spiritual house. God is building a spiritual house out of what the Bible calls living stones, and He's doing it right here in Homosassa, Florida. And uh, those de- there's decisions that have to be made in regards to how you will pattern your life as an altar and an ark builder and pattern your life after what God tells us to pattern after. I remember when Lee and I, Lee and I never built a house, but we have built a house, because in 2016, in August of 16 I've shared this before, but August of 2016, our house flooded, ruined both of our cars, got about four foot of, of water in the house, so for all intents and purposes... We had to rip out everything, all the cabinets, all the drywall up to five feet or whatever, and all the insulation, all the stuff, windows had gotten water in them, and they were sealed windows, so there was condensation forming. We had to rip out the windows. There ended up being a problem with my roof, so I had to pick out cabinets, countertops. But Do you know how many uh, sink fixtures are out there, (laughs) y'all? Thousands. And Leah would drag me into Baton Rouge and go to all these home stores and all these places. And it finally came to the point where everything began to look the same to me. Do do you like this one? I'm like, it looks like the other 26 that I've looked at. I I told her at one point, I said, I don't know anymore. I, I don't know. But I want to tell you this. God is building his church. You say, wait a second. Doesn't Psalm 127 say that? The Lord builds his house? Yes, the Lord builds his house. But I'm telling you, what most churches do is they get in the way of what God's trying to do. They make a decision. They they make a decision that, well, we're going to do this on our own instead of allowing God to build the house. They get in the way. And I've always thought this, that your values determine your destination in life and especially in the church. Those things that you value will determine the destination that you finally reach. And I've talked about this before, but I'm going to do it even more in depth on the topic of altars and arks and talk about Moses and him patterning some things and patterning in the wilderness. God told him how to build the tabernacle. Listen, God wants to dwell with his people. And the presence of God is what is going to make the difference in your family It's going to make a difference in your life. It is going to make a difference in this church. And it's going to make a difference in this community. So I want to be amongst people and to pastor people, which I love this church. I love you guys dearly. I want to pastor hungry people. I want to pastor people that are not hungry for the world because we've gotten full of the world. I want to pastor people that that when the pastor gets up and says, hey, we're going on a fast, we're like, yes, let's let's get hungry for God. Let's go after him like never before. But there is a concept in the Bible. So we want to be a church of his presence. Can I get a good amen? Amen. Now, when we say that, what does that even mean? Because we know from the Bible, theologically, that God is omnipresent. He's everywhere present but there are places in the bible and i know you've experienced this i hope you come here and experience this but there are places in the bible where because god is in beijing china right now he's in london england he's in tampa florida he's in new york he's he's all he is everywhere present but there are places that god manifests his presence You take Mount Sinai, for instance. That is God's manifest presence coming, and and the, the hills melted like wax. There was a flame of fire. The earth shook, and it literally scared the people of God to where they're like, Hey, Moses, we don't want to go up near there. We're going to send you up there. But I want to point this out in Acts 2. It says the people present saw, heard, and felt the presence of God that was poured out that day. So when we say we want to build a church that hosts the presence... Yes, God is everywhere present, church, but we desire him to manifest his presence here, the manifestation of his presence. Now, this is an interesting thing, because to the Hebrews and to the Hebrew word of literally what presence, the word they used for presence was literally the translation of face. Face. So in other words, if, if, if you have somebody's face, it means you have their attention. You ever take in your kids when you want to get their attention? I, and I'm not an abuser, y'all. Do before you. You don't get them like this. You get them like this, and you get their little faces, and you pull them. I do it with my golden doodle all the time. I grab him and I hold his head up here. I do it to Leah. I do. I look at her. I often. I'll grab her. I'll say, "You see this face? You're stuck with it the rest of your life." And she leaves happier, y'all. It just works every time. What it means when they talked about the presence of God to the Hebrew people, it meant simply that that you had God's attention. You had his face. You you had him gazing upon you. And church, I want to be the type of church that gets God's attention. So that he will manifest himself in our lives, in our families, and in this great church in an ever-increasing way. Because, church, God can do more in 30 seconds in his presence than I can do in 10 years of preaching to you. The word of God is incredibly important. The word of God, the discipling, the line upon line, the precept upon precept, the preaching of God's word is how people get saved, how people get discipled. But when I get into the presence of God, it changes and softens my heart. It changes my attention from the things and the problems that I have going on right in front of me, and it focuses myself back on him. And wherever the manifest presence of God is, it literally becomes the atmosphere of heaven. We miss this in the Bible, church. If you read through the Bible and miss this, you've missed the greatest point that I think you could could just base your entire spiritual life on, and that's this. God always desired to have heaven and earth together. God always desired to have His presence with His people. Moses said to God... God, if you don't go with us, because God comes to him and he says, hey, I'm going to send an angel before you. And he's like, whoa, 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 wait, God, the, the people that you just mentioned that you'll send an angel and you'll drive out the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the thisites and thatites, all these ites, he's going to drive them out. And Moses is like, wait, whoa, wait, wait, those people dwell in tents, just like we dwell in tents. And in their tents, they have little idols that they've set up in those tents. The thing is, those idols can't do anything for them. There is no manifestation that their God is more powerful than what we are. We're in the wilderness, and we have a fire by night and a cloud by day. The manifestation of your presence is with us. So God, if you don't go, I'm not going either. And that's exactly how I feel in the season that I'm in, as a pastor, as a dad, As a friend, as a brother, as a son, whatever it is that you call yourself tonight, if you don't have a heart's cry that, God, I need your presence to be with me. We're starting a study in February on the book of Acts. That's going to be powerful. We're going to talk about some of these subjects with Dr. Brenda. And Moses was a mediator. Everybody say mediator. Mediator. Because we ask the question, why did Moses build a tabernacle? He built a tabernacle because God wanted to dwell with his people. God wanted to be in the midst of them. And this is important too. Listen to me for just a second. Moses was a mediator. The Bible says God's attention is looking to and fro. His eye goes to and fro looking for somebody who will stand in the gap on behalf of the people he wants to see brought into his kingdom. Prayer and worship and your discipleship are the most important elements of your life. And what Moses was trying to do by building the tabernacle is he was trying to bring two parties together. A holy, perfect God and a stiff-necked, grumbling, complaining people. Let's just be honest. He was trying to bring those two parties together. And church, there's nothing different today. God wants to be with his people. God wants to manifest his presence to his people. I want to give you three truths tonight that Moses had, and we're talking about arcs and altars. I'll talk about Noah and the ark. In one of my sermons, we'll talk more about altars. I've been studying Jacob. I'm just not completely there yet. I felt led in this direction for tonight. But number one, if you're taking notes, this is the first truth that I want to get, want to, get to you, and it's very simple, but it's powerful God wants to be with his people. When you start there, then you understand that the presence is actually a natural byproduct of God's desire. And when God's desire meets your desire, then there's something powerful begins to happen. God desires to be with us. God actually desires to be with us. Way more, I'll say this, way more than we desire for him to actually come. This verse, this is... This is God telling Moses, and this is found in Exodus 25. You can look at it later in verse 8. It says, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them according to the, the, all that I show you. That is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings. Just so you shall make it. God's desire is to dwell and live amongst his people. And listen, don't believe the lie because it's the enemy telling you God doesn't want to be near to you. It's a lie. God desires to be with his people. Exodus 25, verse 8. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. One of the greatest promises in all the Bible to me, and of course, if you put it in context, it's a governmental scripture, but I apply it to personal and church life. But when Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of... Of them. Right, right. You know, it's going to sound crazy, but even on long road trips, which we've taken several over the last couple of years, back to Ohio for weddings and you know, over here for this and this road trip, and my kids pile in the car, and it never fails, even as teenagers. World War III breaks out. Mm-hmm. I know some of y'all with Tyler's, it's like, will that ever end? I'm sorry, but it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> I guess until they start driving themselves, but. I mean, it could be one of the hardest, worst trips where everybody's grumpy and tired and kind of bickering and I want to stop and I don't want to stop and I'm thirsty and all the things. And Leah many times will just catch me with a big smile on my face and she just looks at me and she's like, how could you be smiling? And I said, because I'm with my kids. Do you understand that God's not so concerned about a lot of stuff we think he's concerned about? I'm telling you tonight, he just wants to be with you telling you the truth. You say, God, me? God wants to be? Yes. He wants to manifest himself to you. He wants to come to you. God's like that. He just wants to be with us, no matter the conditions. It doesn't have to be perfect. It never is. But truth one tonight is this. God wants to be with us. God wants to be with you. Number two, we must see the absolute necessity of having God with us. In other words, it's not a preference anymore it is an absolute necessity of our lives that we must get into and remain in as best we can the very presence of god church if we're going to have a church that is going to make any impact on this little community right here this little fishing village of Homosassa, as it's growing people moving in if we're going to have an impact on this community it is a necessity that god has to be here God is the, in the authority and in the driver's seat. Amen? At least he's supposed to be. That's really the main job of me as pastor is to hear the, the voice of the Lord move us in the direction God wants to move us. But most of the time, it's really just to get out of the way. Just, just, just let God be God. In other words, the American church is anemic because we have replaced God's presence with all the programs and all the stuff and busyness and, and consumer Christianity. My goodness. It's all about you walk through the doors and it becomes, what is it for me? How about we minister to him? And I'm telling you, you, minister to him first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added unto you. Jesus actually rebuked him and said, the Gentiles seek after these things. We're Gentiles, most everybody in here, I assume. And those are the things Gentiles, but you are people of God. We seek after the presence of God. And if you've had kids, you've had this happen. You're going someplace. It could be to dinner at night or vacation. You load everybody up in the car, and you, we always told our kids this. We're like, hey, go ahead and go get in the car. We'll be out a minute. And you're trying to find your keys, your wallet, your phone, get everything together. And the kids usually, again, start World War III while you're not in the driver's seat. Why does that happen? Because dad's not in the driver's seat. Why is a lot of chaos happening in churches and some of your lives? God's not in the driver's seat. You haven't fully relinquished control of your life. You're like, well, Lord, you sit over here and I'm going to take us where I want to go. I just want to say publicly, when it comes to the presence of God, that isn't just a destination. It's a lifestyle. It's a place God wants to get us. It's no different at CCC. We need and want God to be in the driver's seat of Christian Center Church. Why? Because we got some place to go. Yeah. Amen? What else, doesn't, what else happens when Dad's not around? When the presence, when Dad's not around, I tell you what happens. Murmuring, bickering, and complaining. Yeah. You walk into that atmosphere, I guarantee you the presence of God isn't. It, it, in the Old Testament, the, in Exodus, you look at it. I mean, God was killing them by the hundreds and then the thousands. And it's like, whoo, God, don't, don't mess with God. And whenever there's bickering, murmuring, gossip, and complaining, then full-blown strife enters in. And when strife comes into a family or a person's life or a church, it begins to be ripped apart. Amen? In a church without God's presence, you will see the same scenario. It's dangerous to be a church without God's presence because we can't treat God like a passenger in life. Amen? Amen? In other words, you've got to be so desperate for God that he is more important than the very next breath that you breathe. God's the leader. Amen? Amen. He's the one sitting in the driver's seat. When you start to treat the presence optional is when you run into all kinds of problems. I remember standing beside my pastor as he mentored me and I was usually busy doing a hundred different things because I was on staff at the church. But many times during worship I'd just go up and stand beside him because I just wanted to watch how he would flow in the presence of God and, and listen for the voice of God. And I could always tell when he felt like things weren't going the way that he wanted them to go, as far as and one one thing that he desired, one thing, was that God's presence would come into that place. And I was always amazed at, at Revival Temple and I, I Was raised up there spiritually, and Leah was raised there physically and spiritually. Her dad pastored there 43 years. My brother-in-law Wes is now pastored for almost probably 20, 21 years at this point, 22 maybe coming up. And it was such a wonderful place. And we'd have visiting ministers come in and minister, and they'd be pastors of churches in Ohio and all over the place. And talking to them, and I remember standing next to one in particular, and I was standing next to him worshiping and. He kept turning around and looking back through the sanctuary, and this was when we were in our new sanctuary, so there's seven, eight hundred people there. And he kept turning around and looking back, and I finally just kind of never said, Is everything okay? Do you need something? You know, there's no water back there. If you need me go get your water, it's in the back. And uh, he just looked at me and shook his head, he said, Look around. And I looked around, I said, Well, this is completely normal because every single person in that place was worshiping God with all of their heart. I mentioned the flood. A uh, few minutes ago, and the church flooded. All three buildings, and uh, we were running a, a shelter that night. I was when the first building flooded, and we had to move everybody from our middle fellowship gymnasium back to the new sanctuary. And about 3 a.m., water came in the front door, so it was it was a wreck. And uh, so that happened on a weekend. We didn't have service on Sunday. We were still rescuing people. I think we had. 80-some families in the church that were directly flooded during this time. And uh, so the next time we were able to have a service, we had no carpet. Um, we had to pull out the chairs, so we had metal folding chairs, no carpet. And Pastor, I'm like, Pastor, are we going to try to have service? He said, we need to worship God. Doesn't matter what the circumstance is. And I looked at him and said, your house didn't flood, mine didn't. No, I didn't say that. To him. I need to be busy, bro. But he's teaching me an important principle. You put God first and come get his presence flowing in your life and all these other things. But I'm just telling you, I can't describe it because those moments are so intimate and personal, but they're so beautiful. But in that sanctuary with no carpet and metal folding chairs, we began to sing some of the old hymns during service. And I stood in the back and was watching people that, like myself and our church, had lost everything. Everything. It makes me tear up thinking about it now because in my mind I said, God, almost everybody that's in this room with their hands lifted, singing their hearts out to you, in God's presence came into that place almost tangible. I could almost reach out and touch it. It was that tangible because God wanted to be with his people. And I thought to myself, God, none of us have anything, but we got you, we have your presence. And listen, I've been all around this world, and the reason the church is thriving in South America and it's thriving in Asia and it's thriving in Africa. It's I mean and I don't mean just it's going okay. I'm talking there are hundreds of thousands of people coming into the kingdom. And here in the United States of America, we can barely get, you know, a few hundred people to come to church because we're so focused on boating and focused on fishing and focused on our motorcycles and Focused on all these. If, if a group of people actually came to the place where they were more hungry for God than anything else, and you just say you had 100, 200, 300 churches like that, you know, it would turn this country upside down. It would turn it upside down. In Exodus 33, this is where God says in verse 2, And I will send my angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. In verse 15, he says, Then he said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except that you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are on the face of the earth. Now Moses is a smart guy. He knows if we go out into this desert and there's no distinguishing factor between us and other religions, then when God shows up, there are no questions. When God shows up, there's no questions. We have to ask ourselves, are we that hungry for the presence of God? And I believe I'm sitting in the room full of people that are hungry for the real. I believe that if we can get the real, genuine, not counterfeit, the genuine, then that's what the world is hungry for. We don't have to have anything except the presence in order to attract people to the gospel. And let me say this, what I'm talking about is a corporate responsibility. It's not on the worship team. It's not on the prayer team on Monday night. It's not on this one. It's not on your pastor. It's when we all come with the same heart and unity of one desire, we want to see God manifest himself in this house. Because if they, when he manifests himself in, the, in this house, it'll make you hungrier for more. And when you're hungrier for more, then you'll start to get rid of the things of the world that are coming between you and that presence. And you'll begin to cleanse your life more on purpose than you ever would any other way. And listen, it'll change your family. It'll change your neighborhoods. That's the second truth. Third truth is this. God is attracted to right hearts. Everybody say right heart. You know, all through the Bible, you see where God would become absolutely infatuated with certain individuals. David, a man after my own heart. Moses, you found favor, Moses. I'm going to raise you up and use you to deliver my people. Daniel, because of his courage, and he wouldn't bow his knee to the idols of the age. God was fascinated with these people. You see it right there in Scripture. And God would become so fascinated, and I want to... Because I want God to find this church absolutely irresistible. I want to get his face. I want to get his attention. I want him to look down and say, man, look at those folks in Homosassa, Florida. Let's visit. Let's dwell. Amen? So, if that's the case, then what are the conditions of our hearts that God would be fascinated with and be attracted to? Number one... We must have hungry hearts. Everybody say hungry. hungry. God's attracted to hunger. God is attracted to hunger. When somebody is desperate for him, when you have a hungry person, God' attention in His face goes towards that, which means His presence. So what is the opposite of hunger? Satisfied? Right? The opposite of hunger is just being satisfied. Well, Lord, I'm I'm satisfied where I'm at. When we are satisfied, that is not attracted to God. I'll tell you what keeps you being hungry for God and being satisfied is being filled with all this junk of the world. You say, "Man, pastor's fasting?" I'm fasting, so I'm glad he's preaching this tonight. Listen, when we begin to separate ourselves from the world and quit being filled with what the world's offering, then it'll start to develop spiritual hunger in you. It will. I mean, what gets me up out of my lazy boy to go eat is something good smelling cooking in the kitchen. Amen? I just want to publicly praise my wife. She's been cooking good. She's been putting the pot in the crock pot. It's it's good. I mean, when you're in that lazy boy chilling, what's going to get your rear end up? Hunger and thirst, right? Mm-hmm. Same thing in the spiritual. When you begin to get hungrier for God than you are for the things of the world, we will see Homosassa, Florida shaken. it. Because the world that you're witnessing to has been left empty by the world. And when they see that there's something tangible and real that they can be filled with, the world's automatically attracted to that because they've tried everything else, and it leaves them empty. Anybody else tried the things of the world and it's empty? Oh, Amen. Yeah. Number two, God's attracted to a humble heart. Everybody say humble. humble. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Do you know the word humility there? It comes from the word hummus. hummus, which means the organic part of dirt. In the Old Testament. It's where we actually... The root derivative is where we actually get the word human being. How amazing that God can form dirt, breathe into it, and create a living being with emotions, with awareness, with life. And we came from dust and we will return from dust. In this word humble, humble, good to remember... The best part of anybody in this room, and this is what should keep us humble, the best part of anybody in this room, you may have a great personality, you may be a hard worker, you may be all these things that we would look at and say that is admirable. But listen to me, the best part of anybody, when you really get closer to God, you see, serving God for as long as I have, walking with God as long as I have, actually in understanding the gospel the way that I do in a much deeper way than I did all those years ago, It actually helps keep you humble because I have a far greater desperation and need for God than I did when I first got saved. You say, well, what do you mean? You've grown. You've matured. I actually, the closer I get to God, the more stuff that I realize is still in me. (laughs) Are you hearing me? The more things that I'm like, oh, no, 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 Lord. And that's what keeps us, but God is attracted to people that simply say, God, I don't have this all figured out. I don't even know how to get from A to Z and get into your presence. And that is the first step of actually experiencing the presence of God, is understanding you never deserved it in the first place. People who walk in and think, well, God, you come and meet me. No, 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 no. Because if a governor or the president or some high official walked in that back door right now, we would all stop and pay some kind of homage and honor to that person. And we have the king of the universe comes into this place and we're looking at Facebook. We're talking to our neighbor about the weather and this and that. When we finally begin to understand that even coming into this place and it's out of order until about 25 after because people can't get their rear ends up and get into church on time and the room is out of order, we will not see God manifest like he wants to manifest. Tirade over. But I've said this and anybody has been in this church for any length of time, any length of time can verify that I mean this with all of my heart. I would rather have 150 hungry people for God that walk in humility than six or eight or 8,000 people that are just playing games with the gospel of God much rather habit because I can take a room like this and if you'll devote yourself to fasting prayer witnessing and patterning your life after the way God told us to pattern it we will see this area in revival break out and I know that I know that God has told me that he wants to use this church in a very strategic key way for the future of this area and a lot of people go to an area and they think, well, it's, it's going down and, you know, drugs and alcohol and all this stuff going on, homelessness and all this. Listen, what is going to change this community are people filled with the spirit of the living God and are not playing games with the world of getting all that out and getting God in and being focused and living a life that is separated from the world. Which leads me to my third condition of heart, and that's just an honest heart. God cannot do anything until you come honestly before Him. Nobody is perfect, but God can work with us as long as we're honest. If you're not honest, that's when He can no longer work with you. He can't come close to us until we are transparent about any weakness, any sin issue, anything going on in our lives. We just have to come with, we have to come humbly. We have to come honestly. God, God is attracted to that kind of heart. Yeah. David was trying to hide his sin, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. Bathsheba, he lays with Bathsheba. She gets pregnant. He has her, her husband killed. And the prophet comes and confronts him. You, you guys know the story. He confronts him and tells the story of a little, little, little lamb that was taken by somebody more powerful. And David just gets, uh, you know, indignant. Show me this man and I'll deal with him. And he says, you're that man. And in that moment, there was a breaking of of David's heart that had grown cold and had grown distant from God. The one who God said, a man after my own heart. So he had to what? Become honest with God. It's okay to mess up as long as you fess up. All right? Right. All right, number four, honoring heart. Everybody say honoring. honoring. Again, it simply means that we come into this place with a sense of who is here. Most churches don't do that because most churches are a social club. Let's just be honest. I'm not talking about churches around here. I'm just talking. I've been in a lot of churches. We might, I mean, we might as well be the Elks Club or the VFW, y'all. Most churches. Because it's all about, and there's nothing wrong with fellowship. There's nothing wrong, but I'll go back to what I said in the beginning. I have no intention and no desire just to create more and more and more stuff for you all to entertain yourselves and do. But if you want to come along and get serious about God and prayer and fasting and pressing in and witnessing to people. heard a testimony today of somebody that said, you know, I've been listening to what you're saying. And I was in a place where I just felt like the Holy Spirit said, tell that person about me. And they did it and had a beautiful impact. And now they get to understand what it means to allow God to move in your life and move through your life. So they're filled with joy. They're filled with purpose. They're filled with, God, God, look, look what you did. This is amazing. And that's what we're invited into with God. Honor means we don't flippantly approach our services because God is holy. And if he chooses to grace us with his cloud, with his glory, with his presence then we should treat it like the most privileged people in the entire world. Because another thing that visiting ministers would look over at me and simply say, this was a man who pastored a large church up in Cincinnati, Ohio, and uh, I think a couple thousand people. And I'm standing there next to him, and and when he was looking back, he's like, and he told pastor later on, told me then, told pastor when we were eating lunch, he said, I was just amazed because your entire church worships. But you see, that's the focus. Church, what other focus should we have but him? Right. Right. Come on. What other focus should we have but to lift up his name? And again, I'm not talking about programs are good. We, we desire and we believe in doing everything we do here with a spirit of excellence. You know that. But if we get so focused on that that we miss, and he said the whole church was worshiping, and then he looked at us. And we knew this, but it was good to hear it from him. He just looked at us and he said, don't ever take that for granted. Don't ever take the presence that comes into that place for granted. Because as soon as we start to take it from, for granted, as soon as we lose an honoring heart of God and his presence, God resists the proud. God resists that. God comes to places where He's celebrated. God comes to places where he is honored, whether it be in your home or whether it be in this church. And God is building arcs and altars in the season ahead. God is building, he's asking us to set up and build an altar for him. An altar is a place where you come and worship. An altar is a place where you come and sacrifice. An altar is a place where you return to over and over and over again. And then he's calling us as a church not to build a cruise ship, but to call you to attention tonight that God is building a battleship. He is placing his hand on churches that will be used in the last day of revival. And I said it Sunday. I've been wavering. God, maybe this all does just go downhill so badly so quickly that we are just barely hanging on. And I felt the Holy Spirit come and say, nah, nah. If, if my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. We're so worried about what the world's doing and complaining about all their sin, God's like, hey, how about yours? Yeah. How about how about the church corporately repent for being asleep on our watch? I've had to battle being ashamed as a pastor, a man of God who rightly, hopefully, divides the word of truth and presents it to a group of people on a continuous basis, of even putting myself over into the place of saying, "God, the the condition that we see around us in this country—the sin and the debauchery, and in having people film things in our Senate hearing chambers, and all the stuff that goes on—that is just sickening, demonic." And I don't point my finger at that. I look back at myself as as, as a man who preaches the word of God, and I say, "What are you preaching?" What are you, what are you, I can't do anything about that, but I can about Homosassa, Florida. And I'm just saying that there will be a hungry man if nobody else comes in here hungry. If nobody else comes in here humble. I'm the most humble person that I've ever met. I just, I ooze humility. Which means I have serious pride if I'm serious and I'm not serious when I'm saying that. I understand that all of our hearts get prideful at times. So there's those times where we fess up when we mess up and we just come honestly. And I've come honestly before God lots of times in the last probably four years. When I see the condition of our country, I see the condition of homeless of Florida. And that's when I said, and I'm going to end with this, but when I said last Wednesday, and it may have been taken wrong. Nobody told me they took it wrong, but I want to clarify and explain when I had a dream about a year after being here and it was in this sanctuary and things began to give away and, and literally there were things falling in to the ground like sinkholes and I was like, woke up and started praying and Lord, you know, what in the world's going on? And I, You can misunderstand and say that this church wasn't on a good foundation. This church has been on a wonderful foundation. You hear me? Oh, yes. There have been incredible men of God who have pastored this church and I stand on their shoulders. We all stand on somebody else's shoulders. It wasn't that. It was God bringing me back to the chief cornerstone. It's Jesus. <laughs> we make it about so many other things than just him and him alone. It's just Jesus. That's what he began speaking to me. Just, just get out of the driver's seat. I, was, I, I would lay right over there, and I wasn't worshiping. I'm going to fess up. I was saying, God, where did you send me? (laughs) Because remember where I came from. Came from a place where I could turn around and see 800 people with every single hand lifted in the presence of God coming into the room. And I said, Lord, I don't know if you can use somebody as flawed as I am. And I'm not the smartest person in the world. I'm not. I have very few really true redeeming qualities. I'm just telling you. Hey, you got a We're good. I got Leah, but I did marry up. But I love Jesus, and I hope you know that I love the people of God. And that woman that's up there every Wednesday night teaching your kids, she loves Jesus, and she loves the church. She was raised to love the church. I know you know that. I know you feel that. So how about if we become ark builders and altar builders in the next season and where God's leading us? See, you have to understand because what God wants to do here is not going to be contained in these four walls. And I don't mean that just in a spiritual way. I mean it in a practical way. And I've been kind of pushing against the Lord. I'm like, Lord, I've been through building stuff. I do not want to take that on. Okay? I don't. I don't. And the Holy Spirit said, so you're going to tell all these people out there they just need to go to hell? Are you hearing me? No, I'm not. So we're going to press in like never before. When you walk in this sanctuary, the next time on Sunday, I want you to come expecting because God desires to dwell with His people, always has, Always will. The beginning in Genesis is about fellowship, relationship, and intimacy. Because religion wants to come and work on the outside in. Yeah. The intimacy and the relationship works from the inside out. So what it was always about. So if Genesis in perfect communion with God walking. And, and keep something in mind. I know I'm going long. But keep something in mind. When God created man, he could have just flung open a door to heaven and said, yeah, you guys come on in. He came here. Yeah. <laughs> And planted a garden. And then created man and began to walk with man and talk with man. Let him have authority. Let him decide. Adam, I'd really like to know what you're going to call that over there. Long neck. Looks like a horse. I already named the horse. It's got long legs, long neck. Giraffe. He's like, giraffe sounds good to me too. <laughs> if the beginning of the Bible was about intimacy and the end of it in Revelation is about God and heaven being restored to earth. Then everything in between is about intimacy too. And when you get intimate with God, his presence comes. So I want to encourage you, have a humble heart, have a focused heart, have an honest heart, because that's a heart condition that God is attracted to. Amen? Amen. Stand with me tonight. Let me pray over you and I'll dismiss you. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I feel his presence here right now, Lord. Lord, I feel your holy presence. And God, we honor that presence right now in this room. Lord, we say any time that we have not honored you, any time that we've come into this place or even into your throne room flippantly, God, forgive us. Lord, we say tonight, stir up a hunger in our hearts, God. Stir up a holy hunger. Stir up. A holy desperation for you and the kingdom of God because, Lord, we want to see Homosassa, Florida, changed for your glory. Yes. We want to see the Spirit of God poured out that can be tangibly felt, seen, heard, and touched, Lord. It's possible because that is true Christianity the people of God who are called by your name with the presence of God operating amongst us where we will see chains broken, where we will see lives delivered and saved, where we will see the presence of God flow out of this building like a river of living water. All throughout this community, washing away the junk, the grime, the dirt, and everything else that the enemy has set up as strongholds. Lord God, I pray that those strongholds begin to fall in Jesus' name. Not just over this area spiritually, but in, the, in, the, in our families, God, and in our lives individually, Father. Lord, we dedicate ourselves again to build an ark and an altar, to focus on the condition and soil of our hearts That we may be humble, honest, hungry people for you, God. Lord, I bless the people of God at Christian Center Church tonight. I pray they would be blessed as they go out, just as they've been blessed as they've come in. That, Lord, your face would truly turn towards them, show favor to them and upon them, and give them peace and rest. Lord, protect us and watch over us and our extended families until the appointed time you bring us back together, Lord. We love and praise you and glorify your name tonight. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. amen, love you, go in the name of the Lord and be blessed. Hey guys, can I get your attention again real quick, two two quick things, just real quick your attention. Miss Ann, if you'd wave your hand right there, this is Ann Knapp, and we really want to get a, a prayer vigil going for our sister Lupita, she needs a lot of prayers and uh, for healing. So if you're interested in helping with that, of just taking a time slot and say, I'll, I'll set aside, you know, eight to nine on this day or that day, and we can keep a continual prayer going up to God. So see Ann for that and continue to keep her in your prayers. Amen. Amen. We're believing God for healing. Amen. 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 Go in the name of the Lord and be blessed.